Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business Show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. Love my series I've been doing. Now, I think it's almost a year we've been doing with the uh, folks at the Washington Post, an ongoing series on the best stories that uh, they're talking about, and we want to talk about it too. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the Post. I'm a huge fan. I always agree with them. I'm, I'm right of center if anyone listens to me. A uh, big fan of uh, the New York Times. I'm a big fan of the Wall Street Journal, uh, which I'm often more comfortable with when it comes to what the, the writing. But what I love about all three, and I read all three, is because of the fact that they are thorough, and they do tremendous research. And they're really, in my opinion, they're, they're really they're the only true uh, news, newspapers of records that you're going to find out there. And uh, what that means uh, is newspapers or news sources that are in, have both incredible depth and breadth, covering a plethora of topics, uh, and, and doing it with a lot of depth. And so I'm a huge fan of what they do, and I love this series. My um, guest this segment, he's been on before. By the way, check out WashingtonPost.com, and we'll have uh, links, of course, over there uh, on our website, PriceOfBusiness.com. But my guest today, he's been on b- before, Evan Helper. And uh, Evan, so glad to have you back on and uh, glad to be talking about this topic. By the way, uh, I'm, from, uh, I'm from Detroit originally. I grew up there. And so it's an interesting story instantly when I look the headline about Biden in Detroit uh, and, and what he's talking about. And, and we're really looking forward to that. Why don't you go ahead and uh, set the stage for us and welcome. Hey, Kevin. Uh, thanks very much for having me back. It's great to be here, and I appreciate your kind words about the, about the post. Uh, we're, we're trying our hardest over there. Um, so we're here today to talk about Biden's trip to, to Detroit uh, yesterday, um, where he was, he was basically there to promote the uh, electric vehicle agenda. Um, you know, this was, this was kind of a policy and a political trip, um, you know, some, something of a victory lap after they passed the Inflation Reduction Act. There's huge new money for um, electric vehicles and the you know, transition away from the internal combustion engine in that package. And um, what Biden wanted to do on this trip was, um, was, was a few things. I mean, uh, he wanted to promote um, the, the part of the package that really brings the electric vehicle uh, supply chain on shore back to America. There's, there's some, some tax subsidies, you know, some incentives for people who buy electric cars in uh, the, the climate package that Biden signed that, um, that are tied to the cars being made with products that are, um, you know, with, with materials, you know, metals and, and everything else that, that come from the U.S., and the cars being assembled um, either, you know, in the U.S. or a small group of countries we have free trade agreements with. And so, you know, this was a big deal for Biden because, um, you know, he, he, he talked at this event about 2009 and, you know, when, when the economy was, was collapsing and, you know, the Obama administration had just begun and they were looking at, you know, Detroit and what was going to happen to the auto industry and, and whether it was even going to be able to survive uh, that economic collapse. And, of course, at the time, the administration put um, a huge amount of resources into reviving Detroit, um, you know, and now Biden sees it as a, you know, point of pride that, you know, he signed a signature legislation that's going to do a lot to uh, bring American um, auto manufacturing, you know, put it at the forefront of this of this transition to electric vehicles. 
At the same time, you know, a lot of drivers are concerned. We don't have a big uptake of EVs um, in the U.S. right now. It's something like 5% of people drive electric vehicles, um, you know, by comparison in Norway, which has, you know, the, the biggest penetration of EVs. I think it's something like 85% of people there drive electric cars. And so we have a long way to go. And um, one of the concerns people have, obviously, is range anxiety. If they buy one of these cars, are they going to be able to charge it? Or are they going to be able to charge it at their house? If they go on a trip, will there be charging stations? And so he wanted to promote, you know, the 500,000 chargers uh, that, are, that are being installed under administration plan. Um, that plan is funded with money that came from the bipartisan infrastructure bill. You know, that's, that, that was earlier in the administration that got passed. Um, you know, and they, they talked about 35 states already have submitted their plans. They've been approved by the Department of Transportation to, uh, you know, get this national network of chargers up and running. Yeah, very good. Very good. That's a, and that's a lot. And it'll be interesting to, see, interesting to see how all that unfolds. You know, when I hear stuff like this, uh, you know, there's this old concept that I learned uh, in my degree is in economic history. And but I, I've been fortunate. I, I used a lot of that throughout my life uh, as a journalist. And, uh, you know, there's this great concept called the law of comparative advantage. Uh, there's a reason why stuff is created in some countries and not in others. Um, and so there's, there's not a whole lot of interest, for example, for coffee from uh, cold climates, <laughs> you know, that, that type of thing. And so uh, when I see things like this where it's almost like an attempt to create uh, an economic distortion to make something workable, uh, that is here, we're going to get tax incentives for you to buy stuff made here, you know, um, that sounds laudable, that sounds like it, it, it could be uh, very helpful, uh, and, and more and more we're looking at manufacturing from a, almost like a military strategic perspective. The chips crisis has done a lot to make us think differently about that. And, and let me tell you, it is a crisis, or has been, and really continues to be. You know, so I don't know, do you think there's enough robust conversation about the unintended consequences of an approach like this? I, I think what, what's happened is we're looking at a potential national security crisis. I mean, we are, you know, making this transition. We are moving toward uh, these kinds of vehicles, which are made in obviously a totally different way than the vehicles we've been using. Um, they require, you know, dozens of these critical materials, minerals, um, and metals that a lot of them are, are just linked to supply chains that are dominated by China. Um, you know, we learned that, you know, Russia actually controls a lot of these components. And, you know, when the war happened there, um, suddenly companies were scrambling to, you know, shift their supply chains and, and find suppliers of some of these materials from other places. And, um, you know, as we look at the amount of materials needed and the amount of materials available right now, it's not just that, um, you know, China, for example, has control of so much of the supply chain. It's also that um, we're going to need so much more than is even out there. So, you know, if we look 10 years down the line and, and, and we don't get more of these materials from more diverse places, um, we can see a situation where, you know, there's just not enough stuff to build these cars. And China decides, you know, we want to build these cars at home and we're going to stop sending these materials to other countries, to the U.S. And, you know, we're, we're then sort of in a in a crisis and, and can't get the materials we need to, to build these things. So, you know, it, it's not just about um, American jobs, uh, you know, propping up an industry here, although that is a big part of it. And that, you know, that is something that Biden stressed the other day. 
it is also, as you point out, it, it's about national security um, and whether mm-hmm. we'll be able to have what we need to make these things. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, you know, what you just said, it, it was almost entirely, we heard a little bit about national security under Trump, but it was all about, um, for me, to me, it was like a very xenophobic economic policy. And a lot of the tension going on globally was because of, you know, uh, America first, uh, you know, exactly like it was as we worked our way into World War II, <laughs> you know, that, that, that kind of uh, isolation and, and acrimony on a global level. And so this is a real delicate game uh, that this administration is going to have to play regardless of how, um, how much it makes sense and from a strategic perspective. Yeah, there's no question. Although one of the interesting things about this is that we're seeing, if you look at where these investments are being made, so, um, you know, all the major auto manufacturers in the last six months have, have announced, like, multi-billion dollar investments in, in facilities and factories, plants, um, you know, in the U.S., and they're, they're not in the places that, uh, you know, necessarily are voting for Biden, right? So, you know, we're, we're looking at, at, at areas in the industrial Midwest and the South, um, you know, where, where, where this money is going in. And it, it, it kind of reminds me of, of uh, another story that recently on solar panels and investment and whether, you know, government should be subsidizing those, uh, their manufacturer in the U.S. And one of the biggest plants in the country was actually in Marjorie Taylor Greene's district in Georgia. You know, this is someone who's obviously a climate skeptic and not a big fan of solar, but um, these things are, you know, this is becoming some of the cheapest energy there is, um, you know, and some of the most efficient energy there is. And, and it's becoming less of a partisan thing. So you're, you're starting to see buy-in for these kinds of subsidies, um, you know, even in places where the, uh, you know, the, the elected officials uh, rallied against, you know, the, the, the federal climate bill, but they're looking at the way the economy is changing, um, you know, and, and they're supporting these things. So, we're in a transition. It's expensive. It's going to be rocky. Um, but I, I also think you're seeing more bipartisan buy-in for this stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very interesting conversation. Well, this is one of the things just on the geopolitical aspect uh, that we could go on for a really long time. It's a very interesting time we're living in. It, it's nothing like we've seen before. And it's very interesting how you positioned it at the very beginning. Uh, if, if, the, if the automobile industry was in the kind of crisis uh, that, that it was when uh, Biden was vice president, it would be interesting to know if, they would, uh, if he would be behind a, a big bailout. Bailout. There's a pragmatic side to Biden that makes me think he probably would, but in light of the environmental uh, arguments going on today, boy, he'd have a hard time making that, especially since there's guys like Elon Musk. Oh, how many factories could I buy? Uh, you know, that, that would really change, could change that whole conversation, although he would not want to be in a blue, blue state, obviously. Elon Musk is done with blue states. Your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is interesting. I mean, I think Elon Musk is a good example of how the politics on all this are shifting. Um, you know, obviously, people who buy Teslas are generally, you know, what, what we consider coastal elites. Um, you know, but the guy who's who's running the company, as you point out, he's he's sort of tired of blue states, and um, you know, has has been looking to uh, you know have his operations in. Texas, Nevada, um, you know, and, and, and isn't really on board with, uh, you know, most successful electric car company and, and not really on board with some of these policies that the Democrats are pursuing. So, um, you know, things are, 
things are scrambling rapidly in this sector. Um, but, you know, to your, to your point about where Biden would be with car companies now, I mean, I think this is the thing. It's like now the car companies are so aggressively shifting toward um, electric. If you look at GM, you know, they're talking about just being only electric um, very soon. And, you know, Ford is going in the same direction. It's, um, you know, it's, it's easier for a Democrat now to align with the auto industry than, than it was 10 years ago. Evan, I really appreciate our time, and I know we went a little over. Thanks for, for staying with me. Um, really love my interviews with the, with the guys from the, the – the, the ladies and gentlemen from the Post, uh, Evan Halper, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. It was great to be here. Thank you, Kevin. Make sure you check out priceofbusiness.com. We will have uh, links to uh, his page on the Post, plus links to Washington Post, which is easy to get to anyway, washingtonpost.com. Stay tuned for more.